This week on the podcast, I'm very excited to have Elizabeth Scott. If you don't know Elizabeth, she is the head coach, owner, and founder of Running Explained, a very popular Instagram channel, podcast, and run coach company. A few weeks ago, I reached out to Elizabeth, and she was gracious enough to come on the podcast. I know I don't talk about like beginner running a lot. When it comes to here, I get like really deeply nerdy about topics when it comes to trail and ultra, but Elizabeth and I sat down to chat about how, you know, you might start out running or how you might reset or just the fundamentals. If you haven't thought about the basics of things like easy running or mental training or fitting this sport into your life in a while, I think this podcast is going to be really helpful. And even if you don't think it's going to be a good fit for you, this would be a great episode to share with someone who wants to start running, but just doesn't know how. So hope you enjoy it. Share it with somebody who you're trying to get out there, but just you can't seem to get out of the house, and you might get a new running buddy out of it. Let's get to it. Welcome to the Eat Well, Sleep Great, Run Far podcast. My name is Will Franz, and I'm here to help you go farther, faster, and longer without injuries, gut problems, or giving up your favorite foods. This week on the podcast, we have Elizabeth Scott. She is a well-known coach and runner of uh, Running Explained channel, and she's generous enough to come on to talk about all sorts of training things today. And Elizabeth, love to know you, get you know a little better. I've listened to your podcast enough to know that you started running at the age of 29 and all sorts of stuff. What were you doing before you got into running? Yeah, as it says in the intro to every one of my podcast episodes, thank you for having me. Well, I'm excited to be here. Yes. So uh, I don't talk about myself a whole lot. Um, I sprinkle it in here and there, but I have talked about this before. And so what I was doing before I started running at age 29 was mostly drinking. Uh, I quit <laughs> drinking. And picked up running. And those two things are absolutely related. Um, I am, I've been sober for over five years and I was at a point in my life, late twenties, you know, had a complicated relationship with exercise, you know, and, uh, and obviously alcohol and food, Mm -hmm. you know, throughout my teens and my twenties. And I reached really a breaking point at the age of 20, 29 and a half. And I realized that basically if I didn't stop drinking, I was probably going to die. And just something, it was like a light switch flipped in my head where one day I woke up and it was finally the day where I didn't want to drink anymore, as opposed to every other day in my past where it's like, I don't want to drink, but I need to drink or I, you know, like by noon, your willpower yeah, is gone. For sure. And so that was really the start. I mean, I, I signed up for a local 5k that was like across the street from my apartment um, because to help me lose weight, I was thinking now that I quit drinking, I should probably lose some weight. I was sure. overweight at the time. <laughs> that was like the least of my worries. I was very <laughs> unhealthy in general. But that that was something where it's like, I, I, I don't even know how to describe to you what that first six months of my running was because then I look back at it now as a, as a coach with experience and having done so much work in the space and learned so much about the sport. You know, the first six months of running, I went from being unable to run a mile continuously to running my first marathon in 405. In six and months. Like, and within six months, which I would Fire. never recommend to any, please don't do this. I did get <laughs> injured. I did. So people, how'd you get, how'd you stay healthy? How did you not get injured? I did get injured, just not injured enough to prevent me from running. Um, but that's really how I started running. I, I dove all in as I think a lot of people tend to be all or nothing. And for some reason this stuck with me because I loved that I could see myself making progress, like maybe not necessarily day over day, within a couple of weeks, I could run a mile continuously too fast, too hard. We'll talk about this later in the episode. I know, but there was such a way for me to tangibly get success after so many years of just feeling like a total piece of crap and feeling like I wasn't capable of doing anything that I was weak, that I had no willpower, that I could change my own story and say, I can do this. I can run a 5k. I can run a 10k, a half, a full marathon what else might I be capable of? I love that. I feel like running at least these distances, like kind of attracts some kind of addictive personality. Like there's a lot of people, I, as you know, I train trail runners. So, you know, people who run hundred miles have some kind of addiction thing. And so there's often a history there. I totally feel that. 
Yeah. And I, I mean, more so, I feel like, especially in the ultra marathon community, I think there's a, a, a long history of runners coming to the sport, battling alcohol or drug addiction and having that be part of their recovery story. But even just with regular runners too, especially, yeah. you know, as we age and I think people are realizing, Hey, my relationship with alcohol is not great or whatever the behavior is. And then finding running, you know, as I'm going to say it's the other addiction, it's oh, a sure. different part of your life. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've been over about mine. I don't have the best relationship with alcohol. It's kind of off and on. And I like have definitely depressive struggles. So it, it is a way to manage things that are a little healthier. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So I really wanted to talk to you about easy training. Cause I tend to get like deeply nerdy on this podcast and I would love to talk about just some like basics of getting going. So if you're first starting out, what might be a good way to get started with running in a way that doesn't do what you or I did, which is like headlong full into the wall? This is a great question. The answer I'm going to give is not what anybody wants to hear because there are some hard truths when it comes to coming to the sport as a new runner. There will be people who can roll out of bed and run a 10K without stopping pretty much as soon as they start the sport. Yep. These people are genetically gifted. These people probably have a very, very high performance ceiling that if they were mm -hmm. to reach their potential, they're probably going to be competitive, at least locally, if not, you know, in their age group nationally. Most of us are not that gifted. Most of us have to work pretty, pretty hard to get to where we're comfortable in a place where running continuously at most paces is something that's even natural for us to do. And yeah. so where we want to be as endurance runners is we want to spend a lot of our training time in what's called the aerobic zone or below your aerobic threshold, colloquially called your easy effort zone. This is a very specific physiological zone, but it's very low intensity. And so if you're the kind of runner who, whenever you go out for a run and your heart rate and effort spike immediately, no matter how slow you're going, you know, you find it hard to breathe. You maybe you are needing to take walk breaks because you're burning out on your running paces after a minute or two minutes. Um, you need to spend time working on your aerobic capacity and that low intensity running. The number one best advice I have for anybody starting out or anybody trying to build their aerobic capacity to go as slow as you can, not as slow as you need to, that's different. Go as slow as you can, especially at the beginning um, and use walk breaks or the run walk method. If running continuously is not capable in your easy effort zone, I wish to Lord, I had actually started using run walk. I wish for the first 18 months of my running, I was doing everything in that like gray zone, moderate, hard. Like I said, I didn't know any better. Oh, for sure. I did get burned out and need to take a couple months off. Yeah. But I know that I would be in a much different place had I started building my aerobic base correctly from that point than I was. And I'm, I'm lucky that nothing bad happened. Easy effort running. It's, I want to say it's, it's almost like magic. You are capable of so much more than you ever thought possible. If you can spend that kind of time in your easy effort zone. Absolutely agree. And it's a uh, lesson. I feel like I keep having to learn occasionally. Like, I don't know. It's like the most thick-headed thing I do is like, all right, dial it back, bud, <laughs> on a regular basis. I go this every summer, yeah. every summer. And you're like, why am I slow again? You're like, oh, it's 90 degrees outside. Of oh, course, yeah. you need to take walk breaks. It's okay. <laughs> I'm super dehydrated, right? Um, so if we're looking at finding that aerobic zone, it's going to be a little different for everybody. What is a good strategy that you find, right? Because like, yeah, what is a good strategy that you find? Yeah. So there's a couple different ways I call it like triangulating your easy effort zone. Um, the simplest way that you don't need a, a special watch or gadget or accurate heart rate monitor to do this is to pay attention to your breathing rate and your ability to hold a conversation. So easy effort running is also called conversational effort. If you and I will could go on a run and we could chit chat back and forth to each other, kind of like we're doing right now while running, we are in our easy effort zone. If we were in a place where I was finding it a little, you know, hard and I can get a sentence out every now and then that might be above my easy effort zone. Right. So yeah. everything's kind of on a spectrum, but paying attention to your ability to converse and breathe easily and freely. 
that's a really good place to start. And we can get into the nerdiness with like different heart rate zone models. And if you want to get testing done and get your lactate threat, you know, lactate testing or VO2 max testing, you can get really granular and specific with lab data. But the best way to figure out, am I on an easy effort run is can I talk to somebody myself or the person standing next to me <laughs> on my yeah. run? Yeah, absolutely. I, I love that because that's how I go by it too, especially with trail running, like your heart rate is actually a little fluctuating and it fluctuates day to day anyway, like unless you're going to actively test lactate on a fairly regular basis, you might have like a five degree swing in that zone. So I love just this like concept of conversational effort. The person might, did you say it's fair to say like the person might know you were running if they didn't, if they weren't with you, but still like could hold a conversation that wasn't stressed by the fact that you're running? Yeah. I mean, if you can call, you know, your mom or your friend and chat with them while running on the phone, and then they might after a whole minute say, are you running? <laughs> yeah. You know, you know that you're, uh, you're in your conversational space. Yep. Perfect. And so if we're looking at why we want to be in that low zone, like why is that so important? Why is it so important to build that aerobic floor? Ah, this is, yeah, the why, why do we do any of this? If you're a sprinter, if you're listening to the show, odds are you're not a sprinter. You don't need to be doing any of this. If your event, if your preferred distance is 400 meters or less, I don't care how much time you spend in your easy effort zone, honestly, because that's not the goal of your event. But if you're an endurance athlete, especially if you're running a 5k or longer, the majority of your time in intensity zones will be coming from an aerobic place. Aerobic means with oxygen. The longer the event duration, the more the aerobic zone, the aerobic intensity, the aerobic, aerobic means of production, energy production are going to matter for you. So if we're thinking half full ultra marathons, there's almost entirely aerobic events, especially the ultra territory. Now, of course, can you fluctuate into higher intensity zones throughout these distances. Yes. Like that's not what we're saying here. It's not, you're going to be racing in your easy effort zone necessarily, unless maybe you're doing like a hundred miler. Um, but you know, so yes. Yeah, so the reason we needed a strong aerobic capacity is because you're going to be using your aerobic capacity in your endurance racing and in your training. Um, what I, your aerobic zone, your aerobic threshold, this is what I call, I use the, the, um, metaphor, a rising tide lifts all boats. In that mm -hmm. when you have a strong and high aerobic threshold, everything above it is therefore higher and stronger, AKA faster than it would be otherwise. Working on your aerobic capacity actually improves your lactate threshold. It improves a lot of other things that relate to being able to run at higher intensities for longer. It's like I said, it's, it's not quite magic, but it almost is. And there's a lot that's to do with the science of mitochondrial density and angiogenesis sure. and aerobic um, enzymes. But this is what allows you to do what you're trying to do in your sport. Yeah, absolutely true. That said, though, like we do, I appreciate that. Um, I often end up in the exact opposite battle, though, where people are just like cruising forever and they get used to like running trails at a very, very slow pace. Um, it's not how they usually start, but then they hear this and they do that and then they enjoy cruising on slow trails. We do have to do speed work, though, if you want to get faster, right? Yes. So there's what, how your training intensity distribution is organized in your listener training will depend on a whole bunch of factors, including your experience, your training volume, your strengths and weaknesses, and what you're currently training for. Now, if you're currently training for a 5k easy effort running is still important, but the workouts are also really important too. that faster running speed sure. work threshold, things like that. Um, be beyond a certain point, you know, um, you can't necessarily add more easy effort running. You can't necessarily add more aerobic running and that faster running, harder intensity running, whether it's moderate intensity kind of tempo or threshold running, or you're actually doing VO2 max and or really high intensity running. That is what we call it the, the finish on the cake, the icing on the cake, right? Cake's not finished until you have kind of exercised all the zones that you have, but you don't need to do a whole bunch of this higher intensity work. You just need like a little bit of it. Um, even in, in things like base building or when I'm working with relatively new runners, uh, I still like to include things like strides 
or, you know, hill sprints a couple times a week, just to introduce them to that faster running. And then over time, we will then incorporate more structured speed work or higher intensity or moderate intensity, depending on what they're training for workouts into their running. So rarely do I have runners running 100% easy effort running every single day of the week for weeks on end. That would be a rare case that is most often if we're like returning from injury or coming off a big break or we're recovering from a big race. Awesome. I love all of that. But could we also use something like you mentioned run walk method, which I absolutely had to do a year ago when I was getting going and still occasionally have to do depending on the day. And how do you feel about cross training? What do we add for that? And I don't mean strength training. I mean, like cycling, swimming, all that stuff. I love that you differentiate between that. Yeah. So technically cross training is anything that isn't running, but in my mind, cardio cross training, like you said, it's, it's running, swimming, biking, aqua jogging, right. Hiking, that sort of thing. Strength training is its own thing. And yes, you should do it. Cross training is if you like, if you have another sport that you like to do awesome, do it. Um, Cross training cannot replace your development as a runner in these intensity zones. And I have had people ask me, can I do my zone two development work, my easy effort running my aerobic capacity work for cross training because I cannot run that slowly? And my answer is no, you cannot replace your running with cross training. You can supplement it, but there is a whole bunch of neuromuscular and movement specific based adaptations you're getting as a runner when you run or when you do run walk that you're not going to get if you're doing it on the bike or doing it in the pool instead. Yeah. I mean, you're more than just an aerobic system, right? Like there are engagement methods that are going to matter. And I know there's some carryover, like the Norwegians show that there's enough carryover from cycling, but they're also doing, you know, 20, 30 hour training weeks. So. Yeah. I mean, you, you yeah. build a big enough engine, you'll, you'll be able to do anything with it. Almost, <laughs> you know? yeah. yeah, absolutely. But like, as anyone who's ever done a triathlon for fun, like you're going to have that sport that you're not very good at. Mine was running when I did mine and I was a pretty decent cyclist, but I just was terrible at the run and I had very little to do with my cardio. I'm just a bad runner. Yeah. Like, and that's that neuromuscular thing. And it's funny. I mean, triathletes, usually, usually the triathletes are the ones saying like, I had to learn to swim to do my triathlon. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So if we're looking at some of this stuff, like I think most people get going with a plan that they find off the internet, right? And that could be something free. Um, Always push good people. So like Chrissy Mills or David Roche or any of these people, Um, some, something on the like cheaper end, that's very affordable, but also well done. Like one of yours, how do we use one of those plans? and make sure that we adapt it well for us. Like, how do we have something that is created for a general populace and adapt it for us? Like I'm running into this issue with strength. I'm more of a strength coach in my day to day, and I'm creating some generalized plans for people. But like the caveat list at the front is like fairly long. So what do you do for that for a running plan? That's a really good, uh, it's a really good question. And it's funny because I just did a post on this on Instagram describing that, you know, how training, how your training is put together. Your training plan is written like a recipe you know, yes, you can change it, but unless you know what you're doing and how it's supposed to be changed, you're going to end up with an absolute inedible mess. And in the running world, that's, you know, you're not going to make progress. Maybe you're going to burn out. Maybe you're going to injure it. Something bad's going to happen. Now, like we, the, the analogy I feel like works though, because we can learn the skill and the theory and the science behind how things are supposed to work, right? You have master chefs in the kitchen. They know how to make a pie 95 different ways. And those are all valid ways, but they know how things are supposed to go in what order and why they're supposed to happen. Yes, you can change your training plan if you need to, as long as you know why and how to do it correctly, right? So the first thing I will say is that if you genuinely have no idea what you're doing and you have a very comp and it's fine, we've all been there. I had no idea what I was doing when I started and you have a very complex schedule or a very unique life circumstance, I would highly recommend either getting a customized coach, uh, customized plan written for you or working with a coach one-on-one because pre-written training plans are like very in quality, you know, it's like gas station sushi versus the stuff you get at a mission side restaurant, right? Like some of this stuff, it will, it will hurt you, right? Yes. It's freely available on the internet, but it's going to cause you problems to the like 
commonly available, like, yeah, this is probably pretty good. Will it be the right taste for everybody? No, but for the average runner, it's going to work a-okay as long as they make the right decision. And then the super high-end stuff is the stuff that was handmade just for you, and nothing's going to be better than that. Um, so first off, I would caution anybody against using a plan that they find on the internet that is simply numbers on a spreadsheet. Mm. You should know in your plan what the purpose of the run is, what intensity zone to run it at, general guidance of what that's supposed to feel like. If you have workouts, speed work, tempos, thresholds, long run workouts, how do you execute those? What are the rest or recovery intervals? What pace range should you be aiming for? Your plan should tell you or guide you to that information. It shouldn't just be like, oh, here's an Excel spreadsheet full of numbers, go. You need more than that. So first of all, your plan should contain some detail and guidance. But let's say you have a plan and you're like, I know this is the plan that's appropriate for my current training volume. It's appropriate for my current, what I'm trying to accomplish in my goal race. But, you know, the long runs on Sundays and I can't run on Sundays. I have to do my long run on Saturdays. So here's the first thing. The first thing you can do for any training plan, you are more than welcome to take that whole training week and shift it back so that it ends on any day of the week that you want. Your long run does not have to be on Sundays. You can move that whole plan back a day. So your long run on Saturdays and your week ends on Saturdays. Or maybe you like to do your long run on Wednesdays. Same thing applies. The other general principles for modifying your training plan, if needed, before you start swapping days around, I would say, do you have time to do most of the scheduled run on any given day? And if the answer is yes, and I would say do as much as you have time for if it says seven miles and you have time for six, do six. If it says eight reps, you have time for five, do five, you know? So get as much as you can done in the time you have available to you. And then the kind of getting that if you are going to start moving days around, there are some general, like, this is the best guidance, although this is going to be highly dependent on what the plan is and what you're trying to do. You generally want to separate hard and long run days by at least one easy or non-running day. So don't put, don't move your speed work to the day before your long run. <laughs> that's typically a bad idea. Don't move your speed work to the day after your long run. It's not uh, really a good idea either. I, I um, love when that happens. Avoid like, I just didn't get it done. So I did it Friday. It was like, right. oh, it's, it's like, not the right choice. That that's, you need at least one day in between. If you have multiple workouts per week, let's say you have a tempo run and a speed workout, separate those by at least one day as well. If you have a recovery run or a rest day, that sort of thing. So we want to make sure that our training load the hard days and the easy days are distributed in a certain way throughout the week. And they're all crammed together in one section of the week. Um, and then, like I said, you know, if you're, if your life's getting really complicated and you're like, your plan looks like somebody's 18th revision of the Lord of the Rings manuscript, you know, um, might be time for some professional help. Uh, I can tell you're a podcaster. You give very good analogies. So if we're looking at, um, and been doing this a while. So if we're looking at getting a coach, I love that advice for obvious reasons. Cause I am one I'm dedicating my life to it as have you. Um, if you're new, like most things are going to make you better in theory. Right. But so a lot of people feel like they don't need or want to get a coach until they're good enough to get one. Right. With like heavy air quotes, since this is going to be mostly recorded. So my, <laughs> You're not wrong, but also I think you're risking injury a lot of the time. And I think I wish I had gotten a coach when I was starting out in sports in general. And I feel like I've talked to many people who feel the same way. What do you think about getting a coach when you're, quote, not ready or whatever? Yeah, this I get this question a lot. How do I know I need a coach how do I know if I'm, you know, it's almost deserving of a coach, right? I feel yeah. like that's the kind of subtext that, a lot yeah, of runners, 100%. <laughs> like, how do I, do I deserve, first of all, if you feel like you want to work with a run coach, you should, nothing should stop you, right? You doesn't matter what your goal is, what your pace is, what, like, it doesn't matter. If you want to work with a coach, you should work with one. Um, there are people I've, you know, I've chatted with over the years who, if they might benefit from a coach but they seem to have their own thing dialed in pretty well. You know, yeah. that's fine. Not everybody needs one. Um, some people are genuinely fine. Self-coaching, following the plans that they have, reading the books that they do, like they become a student of the sport. They know their bodies. 
that works for them. This is not every runner though. And I also sure. have on the other end of the spectrum chatted with a bunch of people where I'm like, oh my, like you, you need guidance. Like you need somebody to help you. Like you would have a so much better time if you just had somebody telling you what to do. And I'm a huge advocate as a coach that I am also an educator that I want my athletes to only like, they come in and say, you know, I'll have some people come in and say, just tell me what you do and I'll do it. I'm like, well, it's not really what I do here. Right. I want to list. I want you to learn how to listen to your body. I want to teach you the principles of sport. You know, I want to guide you objectively in the best way that I can, but the athlete has to be a willing participant in this as well. So I'm not here to just tell you what to do and you're going to do it. I want you to be able to understand enough of the sport that when you're midway through a workout and something's going sideways, that you know what to do, that you know how to make the right decision for yourself, whether that's to, you know, finish the run at an easy effort to adjust the pace if needed or what's going, you know, whatever the thing is going on. Um, so yes, there is absolutely no like pace or goal requirement to work with a coach. If you feel like you'd benefit from one, I would highly recommend seeking one out that I'll also say, if you find yourself in a constant place of starting over or getting injured or feeling burned out every time you try to do it and you're wondering what's wrong with me, why can't I do this thing that everybody else seems to be able to do so naturally, you might benefit from a coach. So often, and I'm sure that you see this a lot, Will, you know, I'm t- I'm bringing in new runners and telling them they're probably doing way too much. Either they're running everything oh, yeah. way too hard, they're doing way too many things outside running, they're trying to do an extremely aggressive goal in the middle of an extremely stressful life event, like moving or, you know, the death of a loved one or, you know, a multitude of different stressful events. But it's like, I put their things in context and go, here's what I see. Here's what you're doing. Here's where we don't need to be doing this. Here's where we do need to be doing this and getting them on the sustainable path to training. And just, it doesn't take that long making these small corrections. And they finally say, oh my God, I'm actually enjoying training. I ran five days last week. And like, that's the huge success for me as a coach. Same. Like I, I've been injured so much. Like I just want to help people not be there. Right. Like I, and it wasn't one thing. It was a hundred things. And if I could just help people not do that as much as I did that, that's really my whole goal. Yeah. And it, and it's, it's so it's, and I'm sure you know, this as a coach and as an athlete yourself, you know, coaches need coaches too. Like I have a coach, you know, so there are different things and I'll, I'll say this, you know, have this conversation with my runners and then turn around to myself and like, have that conversation with my coach. And then she's having that conversation with me. Right. So, you know, even when you know what you're doing, like, like logically, scientifically, it's very hard to coach yourself objectively and as well as somebody else with that same knowledge would be able to, because you're always going to be looking at your own performance through that lens of how hard we tend to be on ourselves rather than somebody else looking and saying, that was a really good workout. Why are you really upset that the third rep was three seconds slower than the fourth? Like, you know, that kind of stuff that we runners tend to be super hung up about. I feel like actually a marker of a good coach is that they have a coach. And it doesn't actually need to be in running. It's just like, I think if you have dedicated your life to this, maybe it's a thing that's worthwhile for you. Like I'm currently using myself as a bit of a guinea pig for some running things. Um, but I have a business coach and like, I don't do my own strength planning. So I think you should, you know, believe in the process a little bit. Yeah. And I mean, it's, the, it's almost like the, anybody who's in this space, like, you know, I may know a lot, you may know a lot. We don't know everything. And it is that humility of like, you know, my coach knows more about certain things based on her education and expertise, you know, than I do. And then we all learn from each other. Right. So it's this, it's this great kind of feedback loop of where we can just kind of, you know, gain through experience and knowledge. I love it. I love having a coach. Me too. So if we're looking at selecting a coach, what would be some of the like primary drivers that you see that are good for people? And I just want people to like run and enjoy it and enjoy whatever sport they want to do. I really don't care if you pick me or you or one of the other thousand good coaches on the planet at this point. Um, But how do we delineate someone that might be a good fit for the athlete at at hand? That's a good question. Um, There are probably just like, you know, we have a bunch of different friends who we all enjoy. 
you know, you probably ha- will have a bunch of different coaches who would be a good fit for you. And I think first and foremost, you know, does, is this coach somebody who I, who seems nice, who I, their personality jives with mine. They seem interesting. They seem compassionate. They seem to know what they're talking about. Um, and you know, cause a coach athlete relationship is a relationship. It's a two way street and you want to enjoy talking to your coach and trust them. Um, just like they should hopefully, you know, go through that. We go through this kind of coaching exploration kind of screening process. Is this, is this an athlete I want to work with or what they're trying to do? Does it make sense? Um, I will say that if a coach is selling you hyper specific things, like if you ask somebody what their coaching philosophy is and it doesn't contain any sort of um, description about seeing each runner as an individual or understanding that each runner is unique or something that like understands that you runner are a special person that you're not the same as the runners around you because you are your own person. If they're trying to apply their very highly specific training philosophy to every single person, no matter who they are, that's a red flag. Um, A good coach knows that every runner is going to be coached slightly differently, even if their goals and abilities are exactly the same. And the other thing I'll say is that if a coach is trying to sell you a quick fix, you know, if they're like, oh, I know exactly how we can, I mean, other than like, let's get you a slow down in your easy days. Like that's a quick fix for most or things. Like eat enough food. You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but if they're saying like, oh, I have this patented method and it's going to, I can guarantee you this race goal. Nobody yeah. can do that. And if they're trying to sell that to you, that is a snake oil salesman. Yeah. Agreed. I feel like any guarantee of a race goal is a huge red flag. Like, most, most of us do the same stuff. And I like to be open about that. We can call it whatever we do. And like, there's, there's marketing and whatever, but as far as like <laughs> most good coaches do the same things and you're going to have good days and off days. And if you have an off day on a race day, you might not hit your race goal. And anybody who's not blunt with you about that, that's not fair to anybody. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, I'm very upfront with my athletes and the thing about when we're coaching our athletes, I want to tell them, yes, I want to say, of course. I, I, you know, and in the back of my mind, yes, I probably do have a couple different, you know, reasonable estimates of what you could do on a good day or a bad day, or, you know, my dream goal for you, you know, but I always want my runners to come and tell me what, where they think they are first. And then we'll have a discussion about this. And I always followed up with, you know, finishing your race is always a huge achievement. Um, and then if you need to drop out because you're injured, that's the right decision because you know, your body, right. So, you know, working with a coach is not about having them hold you accountable or doing it because they told you to, you know, I want to inspire my runners and like, yes, sometimes they tell me, they hear me in their back of their head being like, you know, do this or don't do that, you know, in, in training or on races in a positive context, but you know, your coaches are proud of you no matter what you do, as long oh, yeah. as you make the decisions that that's right for you and genuinely give it your best effort. Absolutely. And like, there's just some stuff you can't control. Oh my like, God. There's so much you can't control. So much. There's <laughs> <laughs> somebody I had running a race in March and there was a 20 degree temperature swing that wasn't predicted. He got his ass handed to him because, oh, you my know, gosh. of course he did. Like, what do you, what's going to happen there? So like all the plan had to go out the window and we had to figure, they had to figure it out like on the fly, like stuff happens. And I appreciate you saying all of that. Yeah. I will say the weather as a coach, the weather is the one thing I wish I had control over, but you know, if I'm, if I'm telling you that we need to adjust your race plan because it's going to be 85 degrees on race day, please listen. <laughs> that will take yeah. you down. If you go out, you're at our original pace targets. That's going to be in a fair world of hurt. <laughs> oh, for sure. And it adds up over time. The longer you are running, the more it's going to penalize you like <laughs> just terribly. Yeah. So if we're looking at one thing that we both kind of mentioned a little bit as part of our histories, injuries, uh, there's a whole host of reasons why they happen, but what are some good ways to come back from an injury? just generalized after we get hurt, how can we make sure that we're not over leveraging? Like a quick story from me, I destroyed my ankle in college and I kept thinking it was good. And I was actually being fairly smart about it for a 20 year old male. But when I like would do that, like final push at a track practice, it would go out again and then be sprained for like another couple months. So what are some ways to avoid things like that 
It's a good question. Obviously huge. Like it depends on the severity and type of your injury, blah, blah, blah. Are you seeing a physical therapist? Of course. Um, yeah. <laughs> the one thing I will say, I, I tend to see runners, um, be so afraid of losing fitness that they try to train through or return to training at much higher volumes or a training load than would be appropriate for their injury. And if they had just like taken the extra two to three weeks to do it right, that would have made all the difference in the world. So you have somebody coming off, let's say they had to take two to three weeks off for a moderate injury, but they got cleared to run again. And then their PT said, start out slow and easy. If you you run walk or return to run program might be appropriate here just to ease you back into things. And they're thinking I've already missed two weeks of training, maybe three weeks. I'm going to jump right back in. So I don't lose any more fitness. Well, one, your fitness should ebb and flow. That is the natural order of how things work. You cannot be in peak condition all the time. And by returning too aggressively too soon, you have guaranteed a fitness loss because you're going to have to take more time off to actually rehab this injury properly that you probably made worse in the long run. Um, so, you know, one of the best things I advice I can give for runners is give yourself an extra day <laughs> when you're returning or an extra week, whatever it is. Um, be can more conservative in your return to injury when we talk about appropriately loading tissues in the rehab process, it has to be done in a really slow and intentional way. So just because you felt really good in that 30 minute run doesn't mean you can go run for an hour and a half the next day. You should slowly return to a full training load. And that's exactly where a coach is really helpful or a running specific PT. Yeah. Um, and speaking of PT, if your injury is serious enough to take you out of running for two to three weeks, you should definitely be in PT. Oh, um, sure. But yeah, I would say, you know, taking, taking that extra, extra time to truly gradually return to fully prepare your body and load it appropriately over those weeks. That is so important. And I think also where a lot of runners, you know, every runner gets injured to some degree, at least once a year, whether it's a minor, like, Oh, my IT band syndrome got a little naggly or, you know, my ankle was hurting a little bit. Um, you know, and then sometimes those things just go away if it doesn't go away, don't just keep thinking it's going to go away. Like honor that. <laughs> Please take it seriously. And as a coach, if something pops up that doesn't feel right, tell us on day one, not day 10. Please. Yes, absolutely. It's the, the worst. Um, yeah. And like double down on the PT thing. My dad was a PT for like 40 years and it saved me probably a lot of long-term problems by talking to him regularly and there's people like Brody Sharp, who we both had in our podcast. Like, he does a free injury chat. Go talk to him. Like, talk to someone if you're injured. Yeah, I know. I've had so many PTs on my show, and you know, they're all super generous with their time and being like, I can't diagnose you, but I can point you in the right direction. For sure. Um, and I get a lot of injury questions to the point where like I don't I basically don't take them anymore. Like if somebody asks me an injury question, like I have a, a copied response that I'll say, Hey, like this is outside of my scope of practice. You should speak to a physical therapist about this, you know, because my, my recommendation for most injuries, if you're not my one-on-one client is going to be go see a physical therapist because I cannot help you. (laughs) I agree with that fully. I don't know like what, if you don't even know what caused it in detail, like I don't know half the time when I see what caused it, if we're being honest. And if I don't like have weeks of Garmin data being like, oh, this here happened, like, how do I, how would I ever know that? Right. Yeah. Like it's really hard. And that's, I mean, that's kind of the, the, you know, people ask like, how do you train virtually? How do you get enough information? And like the data that we get through Garmin and, and, you know, different kinds of training data, it's pretty amazing. I was actually able to trace the origin when I started work with a client and they had, he had a knee issue and I was like, how long has this been, you know, happening? And I was actually to be able to, I could trace his data back about two weeks based on his ground contact time balance. And I was That's like, awesome. Hey, did it start here? And he's like, actually <laughs> it kind of did. You know? so, oh, that's awesome. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Doesn't work like that every time, but there, you know, there are ways, especially when you've been doing this for a while, you know, there, there are really, you get used to reading the data and reading between the lines when we're looking at certain pieces of data. A hundred percent. Like, uh, I mean, even something simple, like my knee's been hurting for a while. I don't exactly know when it starts. And I go back a couple of weeks and I was like, well, you had 4,000 feet of loss on this run and you stopped doing strength training here. 
maybe that one. (laughs) Or my foot's hurting. It's like, well, you did back-to-back long runs in new shoes. So (laughs) Um, that might be a thing. Um, So I guess that actually would bring another question that I should have asked earlier. If we're looking at like selecting a coach and someone online, like, do you ever see necessity to be in the same space your athletes are like what are some reasons that you see people not choose coaches that don't really matter I mean they might matter to the individual athlete and that's fine if it really does matter to you but kind of objectively don't matter all that much yeah I mean if you're I would say especially the space that we're in right now and how good you know virtual communication has been unless you genuinely really have your heart set on working with somebody one-on-one in person, mm-hmm. it's not a reason to discount a coach, right? If all they do, and Hey, you know, if you live in my corner of Connecticut and you want a one-on-one coach, we can make it happen in person, you know, but most coaches can be set up for virtual training. So just, you know, FYI, if you don't, you don't even need to be in the time, same time zone as your coach, if they jive with you. Um, the other thing I'll say is that, you know, I, I have had people, um, you know, say that they've started working with other. So I, not everybody, but I do get a fair number of um, clients who come in to work with running, explained coaches, myself or my other members of my coaching team who are coming from another one-on-one coaching relationship. And I, in our, in our initial meetings, like, I don't care who you're coming from. Like, I would rather not know, but I always ask, you know, why, why are you looking to make a switch? Um, and sometimes like, you know, they say, well, I started working with this person because they're really well known or they have a really fast PR at this distance. Um, and, you know, there are some people who are very fast, who are very famous, who are good coaches. They are. Um, but somebody's PR is not necessarily an, an indicator of what they know as a coach and how good of a coach that they are. And you know, I think some, there is, of course, everybody has their own niche space, right? There are some people who are going to be great with more of that, uh, sub elite or competitive marathon or category. There are people who are really good, more of a track background. They're good at like the 5k, 10k stuff. There are people who are really good with endurance, ultra endurance athletes doing, you know, um, ultra marathons, people who are working with newer marathon, like all, every kind of has their own space, you know, but if you are choosing somebody solely because of what their PR is or, what their body looks like. That's a huge one. Nobody's body should be their business card. Um, that that's not, I think a valid reason to choose a coach. There should be other reasons why you want to work with that person. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. I mean, I'll even have, I train some people who are local in the last, like, well, you got to runs with me. I'm like, you don't want that. Like I'm, you're faster than me. (laughs) Let's be honest. Like that's not going to actually benefit you at all. Like very bluntly. So, and I've had people ask me like, don't you want to see me run? And I'm like, well, we can do a form analysis. It's not all that it's cracked up to be because if there's something genuinely wrong with your form, like, first of all, as coaches, we don't really tinker with form. Second of all, if we do tinker with form, it's mostly about targeting strength and mobility and doing drills. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to tell you to like change something. I'll be like, we're going to do this, this drill and exercise for three weeks. So hopefully that eventually will like fix, you know, changes one thing. And you can also have people's form that looks absolutely bonkers, but it's technically correct. So yeah, I mean, for the most part, I don't actually need to see you run in most cases. Yeah. So on that note form, like I get so many questions about it and I'm sure you do too, probably more than me. And it's just like, I don't, I don't think it matters all that much. Like there are some universals, like don't overstride. Right. And like very, a lot That's of time, I don't it. think you can like, even don't see overstride. it. Don't <laughs> like yeah. even then I think most of the time it looks like overstriding to a lot of people and it's really not because the loading phase, you're, you're over your, your body's over your foot. Right. So like, I really don't have much else when it comes to it. Like, yeah, don't overstride is kind of my big one. Yeah, there are certain things. I guess don't lean forward from the hips. Yeah, know. like but hinging at the hips, you know, that that's that can be traced back to poor hip mobility, poor thoracic yeah. mobility, you know, poor posterior chain strength. But those are all fixed through drills, strength and mobility. Like we don't fix your yeah. run. You can't consciously say, you know, fix your form. There yeah. are okay. There are a couple other things. Like if you're doing a whole bunch of lateral, like twisting while you're running and sure. your arms are crossing your midline. Yeah. You know, you might want to, there are some ways to be conscious about ways certain parts of your body are moving. But like I said, there are ways to run, which are technically correct 
and efficient for you that may not fit the textbook, you know, runner's world magazine cover way that somebody looks like they run. There's nothing wrong with that. I think the really, the key kind of caveat here is though, is that if you are getting injured, you're recurring injuries and you can't figure out why, like you've been to PT, you know, they, you know, you know, you're not overstriding. Um, and then maybe you get a form analysis done and they point out something where it's like, you know, this is happening. But the thing is that also the recurring injury could be form related, but it's because of a strength and mobility imbalance. Like this is all kind of traces back to probably don't want to mess with your form. You might yeah. want us to, but we don't want to. <laughs> no, I fully agree. And I think it often does come down to the strength thing, right? Like my, I have more heel whip than I'd like. I have some hip issues and it all comes down to the fact that I played like lateral sprinting sports. So my glute med loves to take over. Uh, so the fix there is make my glute max stronger, not focus on form. Mostly it's yeah. very much a, like make my butt stronger. And so much of these are, are 100% passive reactions to mm. things. Like if somebody with um, heel whip or egg beater foot, you have zero actual control over that. Like it's going to happen yeah. whether you want it to or not, just because that's how your body is moving. Right. Yeah. So there's all these things. Well, how do I, you can't think it away. You know, you can't think don't over pronate, right. You have to fix the structure to help your body pronate in the appropriate degree, but no more. Yeah. So I guess the final thing, cause that can be kind of stressful for a lot of people. So, um, and I feel like a lot of training just ends up being a little stressful for people. Like, and the biggest thing is how biggest two, I guess would be how to fit it all in. Um, if you have a busy life and you take care of kids and you have to make dinner and you have a job and you do all this stuff, and you have this big training week. What are some strategies to make sure it fits? So that we also get sleep and don't turn into zombies. And then how do we not have that carryover into our runs so that we don't like fall into a, a mushy pile of sadness on a bad run. <laughs> yeah. So this is really key. So understanding genuinely under write it out, make a list, understanding the level of stressors and obligations that currently exist in your life is really, really important. I mentioned, you know, I have runners who come to me and I usually tell them they might be doing too much. It's also putting their life stress into context. Um, I have a runner who's going through a hugely, um, challenging personal time right now, who's getting very upset that their runs also don't feel good. And when I point out to them, they're basically currently experiencing five of the most stressful things that can happen to any person at any given time. Simultaneously, I would not expect your runs to feel good right now. Your body is under an incredible amount of stress just to survive. You know, we're not machines expecting your running to be separate from the rest of your life is not, it's just not how your body works. Your level of life stress, your level of nutrition, hydration, amount of sleep you've gotten, all of this affects how you feel on your runs, but also your ability to build what I call a training tolerance. Basically, how much bandwidth do you have to dedicate to training at any given point in time? Sometimes your training tolerance is going to be really high because you're going through a really easy period of life. Maybe, you know, you're, everything's free and clear and you have no kids and like you're, you have a job where you shut your computer off at five and like, that's it. You don't give a crap. Um, but you also might be going through periods of life where every single minute of your day seems to be allocated by somebody who needs something from you now. And of course you're going to have less, not only available time, but like literally mental and physical energy available to train. The most important thing you can do as a runner is you call it periodize your training, as in you allocate certain phases of training, periods of training in different times of your year based on certain race goals and what you're trying to accomplish in that phase of training, but also to periodize your training based on your season of life. You know, how much time do you have right now? Maybe this is not the time to train for a marathon because you're moving across the country and you're starting a new job and you're, you're, you have like a small child at home. Um, maybe it is the time to train for a marathon because guess what? You're an empty nester now and you have all this free time, you know, so it really, what else is going on in your life really, really matters. The other thing to keep in mind is that during certain more intense periods of training, you may need to make some sacrifices to fit it all in, but this should not be the norm during your peak weeks of marathon training. Yeah. Some of the other stuff may need to slide. You may need to get a little bit less 
time with the kids or order in more dinners rather than cooking that sort of thing. But this should be only for one or two weeks at a time. If that's your normal schedule and you're always scrambling to try just to try to fit it all in every single week, you're probably doing more than you have the ability to do. So long story short, during certain very high, I would say, um, highly important periods of your training at very specific times of the year. Yes. You may need to prioritize your running and do less in your life and feel like you barely have time to fit it all in. However, that should not be normal. And it's normal to go through periods of your life where you're doing less and more training, depending on what you currently have time for in that season of life. Don't lie to yourself. Be honest with how much time you currently have to dedicate to your sport, not how much time you wish you had, how much time you actually had. Because the number one best thing you can do as a runner, as an athlete, is to be consistent and sustainable in your training. If you keep shooting for the moon and falling short, you're not going to land among the stars. You're going to keep needing to start over every single month. So that's my best advice. That was great. I honestly couldn't say it much better. I just want to say as well, like you are not your running performance, like nobody is their athletic performance, but especially if you're not getting paid for it, right? Like if this is your job, I can understand how we can like create that tie. Um, But even then you are still more of a complete being than just your job, but especially if it's not your job and like you have other stuff in your life. And I I hear this from runners who are, are devastated. They're not continually getting faster month over month or season over season. And look, if your only goal as a runner is to keep getting faster, then you have automatically put a time limit on this sport because there will come a day when guess what? You're not going to get faster. You know, do you think that the former pro runners, once they age, think they stop running because they're not getting faster anymore? No, they run because they love to run. Making peace with that part of running. Well, like you said, you are not your times you cannot define yourself by your performance in either way. You are neither a better person for being faster nor a worse person for being slower. So yeah, that needs to be a a different re-examining that relationship with running, I think is really important. And not to get like deeply morbid about it right at the end, but like there is a lot of suicidality from like Olympic athletes when they're done with their sport because that's all they were in their mind. Like not being only one thing is super helpful. And I will link, I think it's called like going for gold. I will link the documentary on that. And just, I mean, pro athletes in general, I mean, with, with football players, soccer players, you know, you have people who from a very young age, basically spent all their time training for this one very specific thing. And, you know, endurance athletes tend to have a long, hopefully if they say injury free, tend to have a longer, you know, um, trajectory than most pro athletes, you know, you can run very fast into your late thirties, as we've seen by Kipchoge and Sarah Hall and Kira D'Amato, um, you know, but if you, whatever it is in your life, no one single thing about what you do should define who you are. You should cultivate other interests. And, you know, I, I, there are so many people out there who I've talked to who have gone through traumatic injuries, people have been in car crashes or had strokes or had other injuries, you know, where they were told they would never be able to run again and having to go through that process of making peace with that, but then trying to find a way back into the sport. You know, if somebody told you, you couldn't run again ever, you know, from today onwards, you know, would that suck? Yes. But there should be more to your life than running. Thank you so much. I know you have a heart out in like 30 seconds, so we're going to give it a call, but, uh, Thank you for being here. Hang out one sec. Everybody who listened to this, thank you so much. And we'll be back soon with another episode. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the show. To be clear, I'm not a doctor nor a registered dietitian and nothing you heard was medical advice. You should always speak with a qualified medical professional before making any changes to your training regimen. If you enjoy the podcast or found it useful, please take a couple seconds to give it a rating or share it with a friend. Every little bit helps. And if you want more of this information, please head to the Trail and Ultra Running Nutrition Group on Facebook. You'll be in good company with other like-minded people who like to do hard stuff outside.